Hello, welcome to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast, where it is all about helping amazing physicians just like you create a wealthy life free from burnout and with the financial security to practice medicine on your own terms. I'm your host, Dr. Elisa Zhang. Hello, and welcome back to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast. So today I'm going to talk about a term called arrival fallacy, and maybe this is one you've not heard of before. Arrival fallacy is the illusion that once we obtain our goal or reach our destination, we will finally be happy. It's a term that's credited to psychologist Dr. Tal Ben-Sahir in his book, Happier, Learn the Secrets of Daily Living and Lasting Fulfillment. He writes in his book that arrival fallacy is the false belief that reaching a value destination can sustain happiness. So I think many of us who've taken this path to becoming a physician have fallen in the trap of arrival fallacy at some time or another. I think physicians do tend to be very goal-oriented people, and throughout our lives, we probably have had many goals and have had to work very hard to reach those goals. And what pushes us and drives us to continue forward and doing all the work to achieve those goals is the idea that we will be happier or have some kind of satisfaction when we actually get to that goal. I think even with the process of applying for medical school, which is, you know, very competitive, we may feel anxious and nervous and, you know, might not be sure if we're going to get in or not. So we kind of have this feeling that life will be great when we actually get into medical school, that we'll actually be on our journey to becoming a physician. And that's the biggest hurdle. And at the time where you're in undergrad and applying for medical school, or if you decide to go to medical school later, at whatever point you're applying, that is probably the biggest hurdle to becoming a physician is just getting into medical school. So we think things will be great when we're in medical school, that our life will be set. And I think when we actually do get into that first school, it does feel really great. Each acceptance that you get further on probably doesn't feel as great as the first acceptance, but it's also nice to have choice. If you have a dream school, I'm sure getting into that school really feels great. And that probably does really make you happy in the moment. But then you actually just get to a new baseline where you are now someone who has gone to medical school, especially if you got you know, several acceptances. And there isn't like a sustained happiness from that, right? There's just the fact that you have met this goal and you do have that momentary happiness, but you very rapidly get back to the new baseline of I'm a medical student, I'm going to medical school. And I'm not trying to to decrease the achievement of getting to medical school because only 7% of people who apply to medical school actually get in. It is quite an achievement. But what I'm trying to show is how with every subsequent medical school you get in that you know, reward probably felt a little less. So the way my medical school started was with the white coat ceremony. And it was really to honor the role that we were taking on by entering the healthcare uh, field. And we read the Hippocratic Oath, and that's where we get our white coats. And, you know, I remember being really proud of that. My mother actually, you know, attended that ceremony. And I just thought that I'm going to start on this incredible journey. This was kind of the, the beginning of the rest of my life. But then, you know, you get into the thick of the first two years of medical school, there's a lot of studying, there's a lot of physiology and biochemistry and pathology. And as first and second year medical students, we don't have a whole lot of patient interaction. In my medical school, we did do some things with patients, but most of the time it really was a lot of lectures, studying anatomy lab. I think a lot of us medical students think about how it's going to be better when we're actually seeing patients, because that's what we think a doctor does is really see patients. And when we get to the third year and we're actually in that hospital setting or clinic setting, you know, seeing patients day to day, that that's much closer to what we actually want to be doing. 
I don't know how you felt about third year of medical school, but honestly, looking back, that was the worst year of my life. And the reason why was because I felt a lot of pressure to get honors in order to get into a good residency. And getting honors was actually somewhat nebulous. It was really just about impressing the attendee as fast as you can, about how smart you are. And as an MD-PhD student who had spent four years away from medical school, I felt that I was a little out of touch from the actual medicine. I didn't necessarily remember all the facts that we learned during the first and second year that we kind of cram into our heads. And as a third-year medical student, you're really kind of at the bottom of the totem pole, right? You are not supposed to be doing scut work, but that's what you kind of end up doing. And you want to be helpful. You want to be actually doing something. You can't really put in orders. If you put in orders, they have to be co-signed. And you kind of feel like that you don't necessarily belong there, at least that's how I felt. You know, sometimes it even seemed like I was a burden to the residents. So then, of course, I thought things will be much better when I'm an actual resident, because then I'll be an actual doctor and able to actually you know, sign my own orders and be called a doctor and really doing work that actually matters. And of course, as a medical student, you're thinking how great it's going to be to graduate and actually be a doctor. And, you know, graduation day comes and that was really a happy day. I was really happy to graduate and finally be that, you know, doctor that for me was an eight-year journey. I mean, I technically was doctor with my PhD that I earned earlier, but when you're thinking like actual being a physician and being a doctor, then having that MD really was the big goal. And I'm not saying that it doesn't feel great to be a doctor, but then you get to residency and it's you know hard work. I loved my residency program in ophthalmology. And honestly, I would say we work probably 60 hours on average in general. So we weren't really overworked. You know, I really loved diving into all the learning as well as seeing patients and starting to do surgical procedures. I really loved how my residency program actually had us in the operating room as a first-year resident. But I also know that I was kind of always chomping at the bit to be able to do more, especially when it came to surgery. So while overall, I definitely think I was pretty happy in my day-to-day residency. I mean, of course, there's always ups and downs. There's always that thinking that, oh, things are going to be even better when you know, I'm a fellow and then finally in attending. I did my ophthalmology residency at Northwestern in Chicago, which was a great place to live for a few years, but also fairly expensive, especially coming from Cleveland, where there was a much lower cost of living. And actually, my husband stayed in Cleveland, so we actually had two separate households, which financially I knew was not the best decision, but I really wanted to go to what I thought was the best training program that I could get into. So I had ranked Northwestern above staying in Cleveland for residency. I had decided early on that I really wanted to do ocular plastics as a, a fellowship because I really just love the variety of surgery for ocular plastics. I had done a plastics rotation as a medical student and really enjoyed suturing. And also during my intern year, spent some time with the ocular plastic surgeon, which really solidified my desire to go into ocular plastics. Unfortunately, ocular plastics is super competitive to match into for fellowship. And so then I kind of fell into some arrival fallacy again, that it'll be really great just when I get an Ocularoplastics fellowship. I didn't actually have that many interviews for Ocularoplastics, and I really 
stretched to try to get an Aquaplastics Fellowship. I actually reached out to Aquaplastics Fellowships in England, in the uh, United Kingdom, as well as Australia and New Zealand. In the end, I was really lucky to get a non-ASOPERS Aquaplastics Fellowship position at the Medical College of Wisconsin. So the Medical College of Wisconsin actually had one ASOPERS fellowship, and then they had added a non-ASOPERS fellow because they had so much demand for the fellow that one fellow couldn't really handle all the work. And they were in the process of applying for an official ASOPERS fellowship, which they did eventually get as I was the fellow. But there were at least two of us fellows who you know, had that equivalent ASOPERS training, but don't actually have the official ASOPERS fellowship title. So I do remember talking to my fellow co-residents after they became attendings and asking, you know, is it like so great to be attending? And I remember actually hearing the answer was like, yes, it's so great to finally be making, you know, real money and be where your final destination is. But I do remember one friend that I had from medical school and she became an attending, you know, much sooner than I did because she didn't do the MD PhD program and she did emergency medicine, which is a relatively shorter residency. And she loved residency. She had a great time during residency, but actually she was not happy as an attending, which to me was really worrisome because I thought, wow, if you love residency where you know, we work so hard, how can you not love being an attending? How can you not love doing what you are doing as a resident, but you know, having full autonomy and having attending level pay? How could it be so different? But I do think a lot of us during medical training, we look at that destination of being an attending physician, being done with all our training, you know, making a physician salary as that endpoint where when we get there, we'll finally be happy. And then for many of us, we actually get there. And you know, we may actually be happy for a while. We may be happy, you know, when we get those first paychecks and it's so much bigger. At least the statistics in ophthalmology state that more than 50% of people leave their first job within three years. And I was one of those people. So I stayed at my first job for just under three years. And what I realized, of course, is that there are many different work situations. And that should have been obvious, right? I had decided that I wanted to go to a private practice after all my medical training and that I didn't want to stay in academics. So I knew that there was at least you know, two different work styles, right? Academic medicine and a big hospital system where you're doing research, teaching residents, but in a big hospital system with a lot of kind of bureaucracy and a private practice situation where there may not be as much teaching availability but you know you might have like better staffing and better income you have the potential to be partner and be involved in the business and have a lot more autonomy with your schedule but of course depending on where you end up practicing there can be a lot of ups and a lot of downs you know there can be office politics there can be issues with actually getting partnership. Or even once you get partnership, there may be issues with your partners and how things are actually run. You may find that you don't actually have the flexibility that you thought you were going to have. Or you may find that you know being paid on production really makes you just drive to work more and see more patients. And so that you're not spending as much time with the patients and not having that personal connection, that really is what enticed you to be a doctor in the first place. 
So what I just want to get at is that, you know, at some point, probably a lot of us thought, oh, once we're attending, we're going to be happy. And now we've learned that over 40% of physicians, you know, have burnout. And if you have burnout, you're probably not really thinking that you're happy all the time. And it's possible that as an attending, you also fall into a rival fallacy thinking, well, things will be better when I get, you know, specific promotion or number certain number of papers published that I'll have more stability at that point. Or things will be better when I finally get married and have a spouse and have children. And that's what I really want now. I want to devote some more time to my family life. So we can keep setting new goals and eventually we'll learn that accomplishing goals is great and growth is certainly part of the human experience and part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But it's also about the journey and enjoying the journey to get there, that we don't have to keep delaying gratification anymore, that we can try to actually live our ideal life while working toward goals, while still having growth and discomfort. And we embrace that discomfort from the growth as part of the human experience. And that might be the negative side, the the 50-50 of life. So I will say the final arrival fallacy I kind of fell in is that I will finally be happy when I reach full financial independence, and then I can do whatever I want. I can practice medicine if I want or not practice medicine. I can just travel the world. Like once I'm financially independent, then I can do anything. Luckily, I found coaching at that point, and that really pulled me out of that mentality of just, okay, let's just grind away right now, do whatever I need to do to get to financial independence, because then that is final happiness. And of course, I'm a proponent of everyone working out their path to achieve financial independence, because I do believe that allows you to be in a better position to negotiate whatever terms at work that you want to work. You want to cut back at work, you can. If you just want to do specific procedures or not do specific procedures, you know, you can pick and choose a lot more when you're not worried about the RVUs or the collections. But I don't want you to think that you've got to get to financial independence to actually be happy. I want you to be able to enjoy that journey along the way. And I personally have really kind of looked at my journey and what I really want for my ideal life. And I've been working to kind of create that ideal life, which for me meant going part-time so that I could spend my time on other things like recording this podcast. And while, of course, going part-time means potentially less income to invest more to get to the financial independence faster, you know, I'm still going to get there. I still have my plan, but I'm going to enjoy that journey and not just wait for that financial independence to kind of do all the things that I want to do. I'm going to schedule some of those things I want to do now. And by working part-time, I can actually make that happen for me. No, of course, depending on where you are now, you may not be able to go to part-time just quite yet, but you can start to look at what is your trajectory? What are your goals? What do you want to incorporate more in your life now? You know, and how much money you need to actually meet those goals. You may find that you're spending your money on things that are not actually part of your values. You know, a car is a good example. So if you love cars and you really you know, have a car that, you know, is your dream car and you want to get that car, then that might be a place that you want to actually spend the money. But if you're like me, I just want a car that's reliable, that's going to get me from point A to point B in relative comfort. So when I first started car shopping, when I needed a car uh, as an attending, I did go and test drive Audis and Mercedes-Benz. 
But in the end, I actually ended up with a Honda Civic. I went ahead and bought kind of a higher end Honda Civic that has leather seats so that it has a seat warmer because I really wanted that. You know, it has power windows and, and all those kind of nice amenities. But I just couldn't justify to myself the difference in how much the cost would be to have a Audi, which, you know, definitely was a nicer car. I mean, there were definitely features of it that, you know, I sort of liked, but I also knew that I would just grow into those features and then kind of always want those features if I had it, but I wouldn't necessarily miss those features by not having it, but I definitely would miss the amount of money I'd be paying for that Audi car because it's not even just the cost of the car, right? It's also the cost, uh, increased cost of, for the premium gas and also the increased cost for the maintenance. And so I want to encourage you to also make decisions like that. Think about when you want a car, what do you want it for? And you might also want to think about your family's needs. Do you want to be able to drive your family in it easily? Do you have young children? Is the car you're driving going to be able to fit the car seats for all the children? How easy or difficult is it to take out those car seats? You know, if your priority is your family, then you need to think about your family and transporting your family when you're thinking about the car you're going to buy. Again, a rival fallacy is when you keep thinking that you need to get to some kind of accomplishment or achievement, and that's what's going to bring you lasting happiness. And just understand that when you do get to that accomplishment or that achievement, that it will probably bring you some happiness, but eventually you're just going to be at your new baseline. You really want to work on enjoying the journey of life. And so if you're finding that you don't have happiness now or enough happiness, then how can you bring more happiness to your day-to-day? And that typically goes with living a life that's more in line with your values. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you did, please subscribe and spread the word. Let your friends know about this podcast and have them subscribe. I love bringing this material to you and we'll continue to do so. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a review. It really helps get the word out. And now the disclaimer. I am not a certified financial professional, and this show is really just for your education as well as your entertainment. I'm also a physician, but I'm probably not your physician. So if you need any medical advice, please consult your own physician. Thank you.